Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Vanguard, Pastor Kerry here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good week, and I hope you have an even better weekend. Before we begin with a word of prayer uh, on this next home Bible study video, just wanted to uh, make sure that you've got a Bible, uh, a pen to write with, and that you've downloaded, printed off the worksheet for this lesson off of our website. Uh, Also, just want to give a quick shout out to those who have continued to make giving a part of their worship. Uh, Thank you so much for doing that. Your giving helps Vanguard still pay the bills that we've got, just like every other family, just like you guys. You guys have bills that you still have to pay, and well, so does the church. Uh, If you are able to continue to support the ministry of Vanguard during this pandemic, I want to encourage you to go to our website and visit the Give page for our giving options that we have there. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer before we dive into the scriptures together. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you that your word stands forever. Thank you, Lord, that even though the grass withers, the flowers fade, your word will stand forever. Thank you, Lord, that it is timeless. Thank you, Lord, that it is powerful, that it when partnered with your spirit, is able to speak directly to our hearts and is able to reveal things to us that you want us to see, that we couldn't see on our own. Thank you, Lord, that your word has encouragement for us, that when partnered with the spirit, your word can convict us and change inaccurate thinking that we have about you. And I ask, Lord, please, that you would certainly do that right now as we open your word together. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing this little home Bible study series while we shelter at home during the coronavirus pandemic. And I'm trying to answer questions that come up in my conversations with people on the phone or text or that I see on social media, and also trying to address topics that have shown up in the news that the scriptures speak directly to. And one of those questions, of course, is, does Jesus care about my suffering? Now, there are a lot of people suffering in the world right now, and they're wondering, does, does Jesus care? Where is he during all this? And so uh, at some point, if you aren't there already, we all are going to face circumstances in our lives in which we find ourselves asking that question. Does Jesus care about what I'm going through? Uh, and I'm referring to those times where you realize you just can't, you can't talk your way out of the situation. You can't think your way out of it. You can't buy your way out, work hard enough or influence your way out. You're just trapped and you're overwhelmed by what's coming at you. It's in times like those that we need the Lord. And it it could be chronic health problems. It could be losing a job. It could be uh, a marriage is falling apart, uh, a rebellious child, a paralyzing loneliness, or maybe even overwhelming debt. But in situations like these, and some that I haven't even mentioned, 
we not only need to know that God cares for us, but we also need to know that God can help us when facing those situations. Well, I'd like to introduce you today to two people who were in a similar situation, well, or at least in overwhelming situations. They needed to know that Jesus cared, and they needed to know that Jesus had the power to help them with their problems. Uh, we're going to read about them in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 has always uh, fascinated me because it is bookended on both sides with examples of people who should have believed in Jesus but didn't. Uh, I want to invite you to turn there to Mark chapter 5. And as you do so, uh, let me just give you a little bit of context. In Mark 4, at the end of Mark chapter 4, uh, Jesus and disciples were traveling in a boat across the Sea of Galilee in the well-known story of Jesus calming the storm. And during that storm, it's the disciples who were afraid, and they say to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus is asleep in the, uh, in the boat, totally calm, totally at peace. And then, of course, you know, the rest of the story, after he awakens and he tells the storm, peace, be still, he then corrects the disciples by saying, why do you still have so little faith? Meaning, after everything you've seen me do so far, how come you're still afraid? And then, of course, in chapter 6, the other book end, in chapter 6, Jesus, we're told, goes to visit his hometown. But we're told that he could not do a mighty work there because they lacked faith, because of their unbelief. And so with that, uh, one end invite you to follow along with me as we look at the text. And uh, before I read uh, in Mark chapter 5, I'm going to give you the first point on your outline so you can write this down. And this is the first and the biggest point I think we can take away from this story we're going to read. And it's, it's simply this. The presence of living faith makes you a candidate for a miracle. The presence of living faith makes you a candidate for a miracle. Now, I've chosen the word candidate here on purpose because, sadly, there are false teachers who use chapters like this to argue that faith will guarantee you a miracle when you need one. Uh, this simply does not line up with the teaching that's in the rest of the scriptures, though. Uh, however, like a kidney patient who needs a transplant, uh, Everyone who expresses living faith becomes a candidate to get a miracle, but not everyone who exercises living faith will get a miracle. Some do and some don't. So having said this, please follow along with me as I read. I'm going to read Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. Here's the first sub-point that I think we can learn about living faith in this story. And, and this would be letter A on your outline. And it's this, Jesus responds to living faith. 
Jesus responds to living faith. So the presence of living faith uh, makes you a candidate for a miracle. But then it's also important for us to see that he responds to living faith. By this, I mean here and throughout the Gospels, Jesus gravitates towards people who demonstrate a living faith in him. Faith is really just, it's simply believing the word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Well, how did, how did Jairus demonstrate faith? Well, we're told in verse 22 that he came and sought Jesus out. He was, most, he was a lay official, actually. Jairus was a lay official responsible for the physical management of the synagogue building and the worship services that were held there. Thus, he was probably wealthy, talented, Jewish, a leader, and influential in the community. Uh, we're also told, and, and it's important that we don't miss this, that in verse 22, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet. That's important because... It reveals the posture and attitude of living faith. And throughout the scriptures, bowing and falling or kneeling, they're all postures of worship and humility. Next, we're told in verse 24 that after Jairus encountered Jesus there on the beach at the Sea of Galilee, after Jesus and disciples had landed, and this would be after the storm at the end of Mark 4, Jesus went with Jairus. So Jesus changed or maybe adapted his plans to go with Jairus to Jairus' house. And I think that's significant because Jesus is responding to Jairus' faith. He went with him. Well, let's continue to read this story because it's going to get even more interesting. And I'm going to read verses 25 to 29. And so a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. And it spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Wow. Here's letter B on your outline. Jesus recognizes living faith. Jesus recognizes living faith. This next part of the story introduces us to a woman who is also facing a set of circumstances that she cannot fix, that, that are overwhelming for her. Uh, we're told that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That would tell me, uh, first of all, this suffering had been going on for so long, it had become normal for her. She probably had lost hope that things would change. And it's, it's believed that she had some kind of menstrual disorder or a uterine hemorrhage. And we can, we can conclude just from the little bit of information that we have about her that physically she was dying because her body had lost so much blood for so long. She was probably anemic and iron deficient, among other things. Uh, this means she would have been constantly fatigued, weak, and possibly dizzy 
because of those conditions. She was financially broke, and socially she was an outcast. And this is because Jewish law would have declared her ceremonially unclean. In Leviticus chapter 15, it says that anyone who touched someone who was unclean would also be unclean as well. So she was excluded from attending worship services. She had no close friends and most likely wasn't married. But this woman says in verse 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. The verb tense in the original text of this verse here in verse 28 indicates that she repeatedly said this to herself, suggesting she was trying to muster up the courage to touch Jesus' garment. She was probably afraid of getting into trouble for doing this because she was unclean, and to touch a rabbi would have been oh, just the worst of sins and violating the law. Both Jairus and the bleeding woman, they were suffering. Jairus, a loving father, afraid of losing his daughter, and this bleeding woman having a severe chronic health issue for 12 years and all the implications that came with it. There's an important reminder, I think, hidden in this text that we all need to write down. So I want to encourage you to get your pens out and write this down on your handout. And it's, it's this, it's two sentences. All suffering is either directly or indirectly caused by sin. All suffering is either directly or indirectly caused by sin. Therefore, suffering is a reminder that we should hate sin more than we love comfort. I'm going to say that again. Therefore, suffering is a reminder that we should hate sin more than we love comfort. And, and that's important because most of us, if you're, if you're like me, when we suffer, we want relief from our suffering. And so we plead and we plead and we plead for God to remove the suffering so that we can have comfort back. But the scriptures... If we're going to think biblically, and we should, about suffering, we need to think biblically about our pain, about our losses, about the things that, were, that overwhelm us in life. They need to remind us to, it should remind us to hate sin, to hate what happened in the Garden of Eden, and to hate how we've contributed to what happened after the Garden. That sin separates us from God, and that suffering here on earth and having lives marred by sin is a result of the fall. So let's pause the video here just for a minute, and I'd like you to talk about this first discussion question that's on your handout. And it's this, what do Jairus and the bleeding woman have in common? And then I'd like you to think about and talk about how are they different? You see, highlighting their similarities and differences is important because of what we're going to see next in the story. So talk about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. And, and don't cheat, by the way. Don't, don't forward, fast forward ahead 
and listen to my answer. There, there's more than one answer to this question, and uh, I'm no, I know you guys can come up with some good ones. So pause the video, and I'll be right back. Well, I'm sure you guys came up with some great answers. Here's, here's a few that came to my mind. Uh, first of all, uh, Jairus was well known, whereas the woman was not. Uh, Jairus was wealthy, whereas the woman was poor. Jairus had a 12-year-old daughter. The woman had a 12-year-old ailment. Uh, Jairus, excuse me, Jairus knew that uh, money could not save his daughter, and the woman had spent all her money trying to get healed. And what they both shared in common is that they were desperate. They were desperate. Let's continue reading here in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read the next section, verses 30 to 34. So follow along with me. It says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I suppose that'd be another thing that they share in common, by the way. The bleeding woman was a daughter who was healed, and Jairus wanted Jesus to heal his daughter. Now, try to picture in your mind what's happening here. We're, we're told back in, in verse uh, 24 that there was a great crowd following him. They thronged about him. Um, Jesus, Jairus, the disciples, and a crowd of people who were curious about Jesus, this miracle worker, they're all briskly walking from the beach where Jesus landed over to Jairus' house somewhere in town. So there's this crowd, you know, and Jesus is in the center of the crowd with Jairus, the father. And they're all walking quickly to try and get to Jairus' house before his daughter passes away. So there's this crowd moving and everybody's bumping into everybody. And that's why the disciples are asking, Jesus, everybody's touching you. And yet this crowd's in a hurry because they want to witness a miracle and as I said, Jesus and Jairus in a hurry to get there before she dies, his daughter dies. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. If you just imagine what this would look like, you know, they're moving along quickly, walking briskly, this large group of people. And then all of a sudden, the guy at the center of the group stops and says, who touched me? And I, would, I just envision everybody else in the group going, what? did you touch him? No, I didn't. Did you touch him? And so... Jesus calls out this woman, and it's important, it's important to notice this too. Touching his cloak or his garment did not heal her. Several people were touching him, but Jesus says it was her faith that healed her. 
So like a league commissioner handing out a, a trophy on the platform after a championship game uh, to the winner, Jesus calls this woman up on stage and in essence says, you want to see real faith? You, 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 then look at her. You, you want to see what I'm looking for? Look at this woman. Again, one of the many times that Jesus uses the least likely example in society to make a point. Someone who's unknown, who's poor, unmarried, a woman who would have been low, low, low on the social status ladder, and she's the one that he elevates as an example. She was persistent in getting to Jesus and risked further rejection from others by doing so. Now, why was Jesus determined to find out who touched him? I think this is important as well. I think the Lord wanted to recognize her in front of everybody for at least two reasons. He wanted Jairus to know that he was not going to Jairus's house because Jairus was important or wealthy. Jesus was going to Jairus's house because of Jairus's faith. I also think the Lord was trying to say to Jairus, Jairus, you're going to need this encouragement, the encouragement of this woman's faith in about 30 seconds. And here's why. Look at the text again as I pick up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, that's an important clue in the text. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him anymore except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And so they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Well, then they laughed at him. And, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Here's letter C on your outline. Jesus rewards living faith. He rewards living faith. Uh, we, we saw in letter A that he responds to living faith by going with Jairus to his house, that he recognizes living faith, letter B, by calling out the woman in front of the crowd and elevating her as an example of living faith. And now, letter C, we see that Jesus rewards living faith. While he was still speaking, it says in the text, perfect timing. 
he elevates the woman. The messengers from Jairus' house show up. And I don't bother the teacher anymore. Just might as well send, send the teacher back along his way. He doesn't need to finish the trip to your house because she's already dead. But Jesus' encouragement to Jairus was simple. Do not fear, only believe. These two commands are present imperatives in the original text. So they would literally read like this, stop fearing, just keep on believing. This is a good reminder for all of us, no matter how scary things may get, it's not over until Jesus says it's over, to use the popular cliche. And the importance of faith when we cry out to the Lord in our time of need cannot be understated. It's even reinforced in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6. Uh, you might remember those popular verses. That's where the author of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, faith is faith in the Lord is either explicitly or implicitly connected to six other healings that I have found in the Gospels. However, in Mark 6, we're told that Jesus would not do any miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. Let's pause the video again. I'd like you to talk about this next discussion question that's on your, on your handout, your worksheet. And it's this, why do you think Jesus limited his miracles to those who had expressed living faith in him? Why do you think he limited his miracles to that group of people? Talk about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. There are several good answers, I think, to this question. I'm sure you guys came up with all of them. Uh, one, of the, one of the top two or three, you know, if I was to rank all the answers, one of the top two or three that comes to my mind is this. I think the Lord rewarded living faith because living faith is a compliment to him. Living faith is our agreement that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do or can do what he says he's going to do. It's our affirmation that what, of what the Lord already knows about himself. And we're acknowledging that and agreeing with him. So I think that's one of the top reasons why he loves living faith in his people. Now, despite this, we need to remember that doing miracles was not the purpose of Jesus's ministry. He did miracles to prove he was God because he, he proclaimed that many times and uh, most of the folks didn't believe him. That hurt him. And so he did miracles to prove he was God. And I think he also did miracles to show his original intent was for us to have 
fellowship with Him and lives with Him that are not marred by sin. So, how do we apply this story to our lives? Here's two applications that came to my mind. There may be others that this Holy Spirit is using to impress on your heart, but here's two I want to encourage you to write down. Uh, The first is this. Compliment the things that Jesus did in people more than the things the world compliments in people. Compliment the things that Jesus did in people more than the things the world compliments in people. The world loves to compliment people's kindness, intelligence, talent, wealth, physical appearance, and success, and so on and so on. However, the only quality that Jesus publicly praised during his ministry was people's faith. And the only other quality, the only other quality that I have found praised throughout the scriptures is a person's relationship with the Lord. For example, Hebrews 11, which I referenced earlier, it tells us there that Enoch walked with God and it pleased God. Acts chapter 13, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And Job, in Job chapter 1, we're told that Job was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. I mean, that's just a few. I could go on, but the only other compliment I have found that the Scriptures gave to people consistently had to do with their right relationship with the Lord or their devotion to the Lord. That's important. That says something. Uh, When we compliment someone, we reveal what we value because we're elevating something. We're surfacing something that we want to highlight. I like this about you. So shouldn't we value and compliment the same things that Jesus did? Here's another application. Number two on your outline would be this. Exercise faith without making demands. Living faith may make you eligible for a miracle, but it doesn't guarantee you one. Like the application process at an Ivy League school or some university, living faith gets you accepted into the pool of candidates, but it doesn't mean you'll be picked. If we don't bring our requests to the Lord with a willingness to say, not my will, but your will be done, our prayer requests can turn into demands. And the Lord doesn't like it when we demand things in prayer. Now, this raises an important question that I want to make sure I answer before we close our time together, because I know this affects some of you. And the question is this, what if Jesus doesn't give me a miracle? What then? What if the way you are viewing your circumstances right now is that the only option is I need a miracle? Well, the Lord doesn't see it that way. He sees a miracle as a option of many. And if he doesn't give you a miracle, 
I think it means he has something even better for you. And and I'm not saying that to sound like some motivational speaker or prosperity gospel preacher. Because I know you're wondering, well, what could be better than a miracle? Well, there's several things, actually. A stronger walk with the Lord. A deeper prayer life. A joy in the Lord while you suffer that is a powerful witness to your unbelieving, unbelieving family and friends. Maybe a career change would be better than a miracle. Or a job change where the Lord moves you from the job you've had for a long time to a new job where you can be a light for Him in that new assignment, that new location. Or maybe it's a job that's even better fit than the one you had. It could be that the Lord wants you to lower your standard of living so that you can give more to kingdom work. And I could go on and on, but I think what's most important is that what God is doing in you may very well be better than what God can do for you. And it's easy to overlook the fact that Every one person that got healed in the Gospels by Jesus, for every one person, excuse me, there were thousands who did not get healed. In other words, there are times when the Lord will decide that our suffering, ailments, or losses are accomplishing more good in our lives than a miracle would. I happen to think... It takes more faith to believe God is still good when he doesn't do a miracle than it does to believe he can do a miracle. Now, if this is something that you've struggled with, I want to leave you with a quote from the Puritan pastor and writer Thomas Watson that's really encouraged me in times where I've struggled to wonder why, God, are you not doing something? And the quote is simply this, they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. If it is good for us, we shall have it. And if it is not good for us, then the withholding of it is good. Watson, obviously, he's leaning on the goodness of God in the scriptures, that God is so good, he'll withhold things from us when he needs to for our betterment. Well, so does Jesus care about our suffering? Absolutely. This story reminds us of that. And he has the power to remove our pain if that's what's best for us. But regardless, this story is also a reminder of how much we need Jesus, how much we need a personal relationship with him, and how much we need to daily grow that relationship with him so that we are as close to him as possible. And so this is a good time for me to remind you, don't waste this quarantine. Don't waste this time at home. 
I again urge you to invest the extra time that God has given you into your relationship with the Lord. And I guarantee you'll see a return on investment that you will be so happy to get. Well, I hope you have a blessed week. I'm praying for you. I'm cheering for you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.